Friends, good morning. My name is Sam Eldersveld, and I have the privilege of being a, a pastor here at Fifth, and it's, it's a joy to, to be with you. Um, and, and before I go into uh, reading and, and, and looking at the letter that Paul wrote to the Colossians, I want to talk about just briefly what happened uh, just a little bit ago during uh, the sacrament of baptism. It's such a powerful thing to experience, and this will lead us into um, what, what Paul is writing to the Colossians as well. We do faith in a community of people. We do faith not just as individuals, and uh, we, made, we made commitments to one another. And it's not just Aaron and Hannah Beth making a commitment to Mills to, to teach about Jesus, to show the life of Jesus, but we as a church make a commitment to uh, to the kids in the church, but, but to each other as well. We, we, we live for Jesus together as a community and, and we equip one another, we guide one another, and it's a beautiful thing. So praise be to God for that. So this morning, we're continuing in a series entitled Rooted, where we're studying the book of Colossians. And Colossians is a letter written by the Apostle Paul to uh, this new church in the city of Colossae. And many of the letters that Paul writes to churches found in the New Testament are uh, examples where Paul has met with these people. He knows these people well. He's seen them face to face. He's helped start the church. Think about churches like uh, the ones in in Galatia, in in the city of Corinth. But in this case, Paul has not been to the city of Colossae, but but, but he's heard that there are new believers and, and he wants to do the best he can to encourage them, equip them, and guide them in in their new journey, this new life ahead for them. This passage we're about to read is Paul recognizing that this is a young young church, and they're in need of a coach, somebody to take them under their wing and and teach them all, all that he knows about the Lord because they're really just trying to figure it out for the first time on their own. The Colossian church was filled with first generation Christians. They're trying to figure out how to walk this narrow road and they don't have uh, the blessing that that fifth church has of generations upon generations of faith in Jesus. And Paul recognized that also with movements from the Holy Spirit come attacks from the enemy. The last thing that the devil wants is deeply rooted Christians who are standing firmly on the rock that is Jesus. So Paul, with all of his wisdom, with his life experience, says, Colossian church, I will help you as much as I can. And he lends a hand to a group of people who are just starting out their journey with the Lord. So with that, let's hear from Jana reading Colossians. So we're continuing our reading in Colossians chapter 2, beginning at verse 6 this morning. Hear the word of the Lord. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord... Continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of the world, rather than on Christ. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. 
And in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. In him, you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self, ruled by the flesh, was put off when you were circumcised with Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Friends, would you pray with me? God, we love you and we expect to hear from you this morning. Would you help us uh, with, with peace in our mind so that we can learn from your word, so we can recognize who you are and that we can uh, live out faith in you, especially as we leave this place today. Our Lord, thank you for this life. We pray all these things in your name. Amen. So Paul starts this passage by explaining to the, the Colossian church, this is how you are to live as Jesus followers. As new believers being the religious minority, there's, there's not a lot of Christians around their, their city. The, the temptation would be to continue on as normal, to not bring attention to yourself with this new way of life. And, and Paul recognizes this and says, this is actually, this is what it means to put on your new self, to take off your old self and live in Jesus' name. The new self is living our lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith we were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. The phrase live your lives in him, I wanna go through that just a little bit. For me, sometimes when I read scripture, um, certain passages seem a little bit vague. I don't, I don't quite know what certain passages mean. So I like to look at the original text. So I went and looked at uh, the, the Greek language for live your lives in him. And live your lives in Greek is peripateo. And peripateo can also mean to walk. And, and this same verb, the same word is used when Jesus is walking on water, for example. So, and the word for in can also mean with. So this phrase, live your lives in him, can also mean walk with him. Walk with Jesus. Paul tells the church that after receiving faith in Jesus, to walk with Jesus, continue on, keep moving forward. In life with Jesus, Paul, Paul is saying, is, is a daily and slow walk. Life with Jesus is, not a mar- is, is a marathon, it's not a sprint. Some of us have been running for a long time and, and Jesus is, is saying, walk with me. I don't, I don't need you to run, walk with me at my pace 
and you will have life. Slow down, walk with Jesus, let him lead, and also pay attention to how he walks. Watch his footsteps. Related to footsteps, I want to take you back into my life. The, the summer between 8th and ninth grade, I was excited about high school, and uh, I, I was playing football in, in the fall. And, and of course, uh, to do well in football, you got to you got to work out beforehand. You got to join the team and, and your workouts, especially in the summertime. And, and that helps you get um, on a good term with the coaches. They see you working hard and maybe you get more playing time. And so I was excited with um, just the opportunity to, to work out as a team. And, and this was um, the first day of our summer workouts and we we're all on the football field together and there's, there's different stations and in one of these stations you're lifting tires kind of like the world's strongest man competition. It was a blast. And then one of the stations you, uh, one person was attached to this bungee rope around their waist. The other end of the bungee rope was attached to another person's waist. So if you were at the front, you would run, but you really wouldn't go anywhere. But the person behind you would have to run really fast. And I remember there were a couple times where uh, somebody would not be moving their feet fast enough and they would just get dragged because they were getting uh, the bungee rope just pulled at them. It was, it was funny. But um, <laughs> the, the point of this story in watching people's footsteps, we went to this drill called the ladder drill in which there are ladders on the ground and an upperclassman would usually say, hey, we're going to do two feet at a time in these, in these squares on the ladder and we're going to go as fast as we can. It's all about quick feet. And there was this one point where an upperclassman said, hey, we're going to do, I think it was called the, the spot drill for the ladders. And, and I'm here listening and I'm like, I do not know what that means. And, and at that point, I felt fear. I felt anxiety. I don't want to be embarrassed. I don't want to be in the front of the line and say, uh, can we pause a minute? Can you, can you teach me how to do this? please. Uh, coaches are watching. I, I just want to not have the attention drawn towards me. And so what I did is I, I got myself in the middle of the line and I had three or four people who had done the drill before. And I literally watched, watched their feet as they were doing this drill. I studied it. It was probably for 45 seconds, the most focused I had been in my life because public embarrassment in general is not fun, but especially to, to a 14 year old. And, and as I watched uh, the footsteps of, of my teammates and upperclassmen, I was able to, to stumble my way through that drill. And I share that because as God's people, as, as disciples, that is our call to look at the footsteps of Jesus, not just in scripture, but, but Jesus is alive and well outside of scripture and to follow him wherever we go, to think about, all right, Jesus, how would you do this in, in my life? How, how would you engage with this coworker? How would you engage with this family member? How do I, how do I speak to this non-Christian that, that I live next to, but I feel drawn to, to, to share my faith with? Show me your footsteps. How do I do this? In walking with Jesus, Following his footsteps, it's the journey of a disciple. This walking allows for our roots to grow deep, for us to be strong and built up in him. And it's a, it's a slow, daily walk. And if you don't have somebody in your life who's, whose footsteps you are watching, think about a mentor, somebody who's guiding you along the way, I would love to chat. That, that is literally what Fifth Church is all about, growing disciples who make disciples. We're not doing this alone. And 
oftentimes we think, okay, I have faith in Jesus, so I, I know how to be a disciple. But most times we need to be taught how to do that. So there's no shame in saying, hey, can you help me? We would love to help you if, if that is uh, your case. I don't want us to overlook this last phrase from verse 7. Paul tells the Colossian church to be people that are overflowing with thankfulness. And this overflowing with thankfulness, it comes as a response to the abundance of love that God gives to all people. God has given us more than we deserve. And a natural response to that is a whole life full of gratitude because of what God has given us. In verses 9 through 15, is is Paul's answer as to why we can be people that are overflowing with thankfulness. With all the ideas floating around about who Jesus is uh, to the the church in the city of Colossae, with all those ideas about who Jesus is and the craftiness of the devil, devil leading them away from the truth of the Lord, Paul puts his foot in the ground and he makes a bold claim about what the gospel is. And all of this, by the way, is God's doing, and it is a free gift from the Lord to all who profess faith in Jesus. Here's what verses 9 through 15 says. And I I want just the gospel truth to wash over you this morning. This is something that we need as the Lord's people. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. In him you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self ruled by the flesh was put off when you were circumcised by Christ. Having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Fifth Church, are you thankful this morning for this? Amen. This is the gospel. This is what Paul wanted the city to, Uh, of of Colossae to know, this new church, these new believers, here is what you are to believe and it is the best news you have ever been told. After reading verses 9 through 15, can you sense some of the passion that is coming from Paul? He's writing about what God has done in his life. He has been redeemed himself and he wants the Colossian church to know that as well. And I imagine that after either Paul wrote these, these words down or he was verbalizing them and somebody else was writing them down. I imagine almost a, a drop the mic moment. This is the gospel. This is who God is. This is how much he loves you. And of course they didn't have microphones back then. Maybe, maybe it was more like a drop the quill type moment. <laughs> but, but there's so much power and in, in, um, love in this story of the gospel. And this is showing us how much God loves us. And can you imagine a a group of people recently receiving Christ as their Lord, just starting their walk with the Lord, hearing these words? I want to paraphrase some of these words found in verses 9 through 15 and just hear these words again. In Christ, 
dwells all the fullness of God. He is fully God and he is fully man. Believing in Jesus makes you complete. In Jesus, you lack nothing and you don't need anything else. You don't need anything more. There's nothing that you have to earn to be in God's family. Jesus leads the church and he's in power over the whole world. Because of Jesus, you are welcome to be a part of God's covenant family through faith. I want to pause for a moment. There's, there's some Old Testament language that's mentioned in this passage that talks about the Old Covenant. And, and in this instance, the Old Covenant is where God made a promise to Abraham that he would be Abraham's God and his descendants and he will never leave them. He will never forsake them. And God declared for a certain period of time that circumcision would be the sign of this covenant between God and his people. So on, on the eighth day after a male was born, they would be circumcised and they would enter this covenant uh, through grace. And in this covenant, it's, it's God making promises to always be there for his people. And he will never let them go. And now in today's church, baptism stands in replacement of circumcision. Baptism is where God's promises are shown to cleanse us from our sins, to welcome us into his family through the spirit and to resurrect us to eternal life. So I wanted to point that out because most likely today, Fifth Church, we're not as familiar with uh, the background and language of circumcision and just wanted to, to name that. Paul keeps on going. When you were chosen by Jesus and received, and received him in faith, you were made new and your old self is gone. And in baptism, you are joined with him in his death. And through faith, you also rose with him from the dead. Through faith, you have eternal life. And he keeps on going. Here's what Paul says. The punishment for your sins should be death, but Jesus canceled that punishment and erased your sins for good. Your sins were nailed to the cross with Jesus and lastly, Jesus has triumphed over earthly power through his death on the cross. All of that, that is the gospel. That is how and why we as God's people can be overflowing with thankfulness. Jesus the one who, is the one who lived the gospel, the one who makes the gospel accessible to all. And that is all that we need. And if we find ourselves thinking that this isn't, this isn't good enough, I need more, or uh, the, the gospel is something else, we're, we're drastically underestimating the power of what Jesus has done. Jesus' work is finished and complete, and faith in him makes us complete. For that, we are extremely thankful. I want to pause for a moment because in, in today's culture, um, there's the idea going around that we as individuals are the ones to seek out truth. We, we as individuals are the ones to fully know who we are. So uh, finding your true self is all about experiencing life and nobody outside of yourself can tell you who you are. And that, that's okay to find out more about yourself, to know how you were created, the gifts that you've been given. But that's an endless journey. That sounds exhausting. In church, we can be thankful this morning that Jesus stands in that place and says, your home is with me. You don't have to keep on running, finding what, what true life actually is. Jesus says, come to me and you, and you will find rest. 
And St. Augustine says, your hearts are restless, or our hearts are restless until they find rest in the Lord. And I know that there's days or seasons where we wake up and we don't want to be thankful. That, that's okay. Life, life is tough. It's challenging. We live in a broken world. And there's times where it's, it's hard to wake up and say, Lord, I thank you for this day. I thank you for what you've done. But, but that's where deeply rooted faith comes in. That's where the community of believers comes into play. I want to share a story just from about a week and a half ago, uh, Fifth Church um, held a, a worship and prayer night. And this was something different than what we have done. And essentially the, the goal of this night was to praise God for who he is and to give God the opportunity to make himself known to us. And so we, we sang a few worship songs, but we also had the opportunity to pray for each other. And for some reason, so I was uh, emceeing this evening. For some reason, I felt led to... Uh, have, have the mic and, and walk around and, and ask people to share, what are you thankful for? What is it that God has done for you that you are thankful for? What is it about your life that you are thankful for? And it was unbelievable to hear so many people share about what they're thankful for. And many kids were present and the kids actually led this conversation. And, and after hearing uh, time and time again, I am thankful for uh, my life. I'm thankful for God creating me, creating the earth. And somebody even said, I'm, I'm just thankful for my breath, that, that I am alive today. And after hearing each of these people's responses, my, my faith was lifted up. Uh, it wasn't like I was in, in a tough spot, but it was unbelievable how, how much joy was present in the people's responses. And so if you find yourself not able to be thankful, because of your life circumstances right now, this is where the church can say, we will help you. We, we will declare God's goodness for you. And hopefully you can be encouraged from the faith of the church body. This is what Paul was doing when he's writing this letter to the Colossian church. He knew that if these folks were isolated and forgotten, their zeal for the, for the Lord could easily phase out. So he reached out, he took them under his wing and his faith helped lift up the faith of this, of this new church. I, I, I um, went over verse 8. We didn't read verse 8. I haven't talked about that yet. So right in the middle of Paul declaring how to live for Jesus and Paul declaring why we can be people that are thankful for the Lord, he says something to watch out for. He gives them a warning sign. And this is a warning sign that we all need in the church. Verse 8 says this, See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. The reality is, the devil is a grandmaster at deception, at, at deceiving us from believing in the truth of the gospel. And the devil draws our attention away from living out our faith in Jesus. I want to take you back to Genesis 3, when sin enters into the world. The first words spoken in this chapter is the devil saying, did God really say? Did he really say that? Deceptive philosophy is everywhere. Before we know it, our hearts are drawn towards anything other than 
God's truth found in the gospel. And deception is the reason why Paul lays out the gospel with so much boldness, with so much clarity in this passage. He knows that the devil is going to do the best he can to bring deception into our minds, especially the minds of the new believers in this church, and ask questions like this. Did God really say that he can take care of your sin? Especially with all that you've been through, especially with all this disobedience, did God really say he can take care of that for you? The devil asks questions like this. Did God really come into the world and die for you? Why are you so important? Is Jesus really alive? Jesus, may, maybe is known, it's known that he died on the cross, but the devil can say things like, did he really rise from the dead? He's not around, do you see him? So how is he here? The devil can turn our attention away from the truth of the gospel with questions like this. And deception has been a part of human existence since sin entered into the world. And if you look at the trajectory of the Israelites, time and time again, God says, I am here, I am your God. I love you, here's how to live life. And the Israelites for a moment are saying, okay, we'll do that the best that we can. We love you back. And then moments later, they're wandering away like sheep without a shepherd, following other gods, taking bits and pieces from other cultures, and pretty soon they're not following the Lord at all. They're following anything other than them. Deception is also a part of the early church. So Paul, he's, he's reaching out to the Colossian church because he has seen deception take over other churches. Uh, like, look at, look at this verse from Galatians 5, uh, 7 through 10. This is what he says to the Galatian church. You were running a good race. Who cut in on you to keep you from obeying the truth? That kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. A little yeast works with the whole batch of dough. I am confident in the Lord that you will take no other view. The one who is throwing you into confusion, whoever that may be, will have to pay the penalty. The reality is we are deceived more than we think. We're deceived from believing the truth fully found in Jesus. We wander off like a sheep without a shepherd fairly easily. But that's where, that's where deeply rooted faith comes into play. So when storms come up, we can stand firm. And not just on our individual faith, but the faith of other believers as well. God has given us rhythms and direction that keep us from driving off this narrow road. And, and gathering as a church, like what we do every single week, to hear the gospel proclaimed, to lift up God's praises by lifting high the name of Jesus and keeping ourselves down low, that helps us from wandering off like a sheep without a shepherd. You may recognize that every single week we share the gospel in church. We share something along the lines of God loves you. God loves us so much that he sent his son into the world. He sent his son to take on our sins, to show us the way, and he died for us, nailing our sins to the cross. And not only that, but Jesus rose from the dead. So we have this never-ending hope that this is not all we have. We get to look forward to eternal life with the Lord through faith. All that is a gift from the Lord. We share something like that every single week because we are forgetful people. <laughs> uh, we forget what God, 
what God has done for us. And we need to hear it all the time. Other rhythms that, that God has given us as a church is not just to gather here on, on Sunday mornings. This is a beautiful thing, but life is to be lived outside of this building. So he, he calls the church to build one another up, pray for each other, gather together, eat some good food together. And these rhythms, they're not just items on our checklist. These rhythms actually, they keep us from wandering off. We need these rhythms in our lives because... We need that accountability. These rhythms help us, in the words of Jesus, to say, get behind me, Satan, when Satan creeps in. Uh, one last thing. So I, I mentioned earlier the importance of having people that we're looking to, people whose footsteps we're watching, who are following Jesus, who are, who are sharing the love of Jesus with us, teaching us how to live for him. If you don't have somebody who's doing that, please reach out. There is no shame in saying, I need help. Please help disciple me. We will do that as a church, and it is a privilege to do that. Friends, God loves us, and even when we see ourselves as weak, Jesus steps in as our strength. We are complete in the name of Jesus, and that is a free gift from God. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Would you pray with me? God, we love you and we believe uh, in, in your truth. We believe that you came to us, that you have the ability to take on our sins and that our sins were nailed to the cross. And we have this hope that someday you will come back. But until that time, we pray that as a church we can be your light, that we can care for one another and care for the lost, and the broken, especially those that do not know you yet. Lord, we pray all of these things in your precious name. Amen. Uh, as is our practice, we want to take some time to respond uh, to what we think the Lord might be saying to us, not just hear the word and move along, right? Jesus told a little story that distinguished wise people from foolish people. They all heard what the Lord said, but the wise person put it into practice rather than just moving on. So maybe it was in the scripture that was read, maybe in something Pastor Sam said, uh, maybe as you were listening, uh, the Lord was just kind of speaking something else to you, bringing something else to mind. But let's think about these questions together, spend a few moments praying about them. How is God getting your attention? What might God be saying to you? And what are you going to do about it?